afternoon, everybody. It's Monday. Hi Yay. there. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Yay. Make the fun sound. Oh, man. Okay, so it's great to be back with y'all. We're going to resume our journey through Mark, the Gospel of Mark. And I brought the painting I mentioned last week in Magdala that I didn't really think would get quite that far, but I've got it. So we'll see that um, in a little bit. And just glad everybody is here. And so what do you have for us today, Patty? What's new with you? Nothing. I hope all the mothers had a great day yesterday. Yes. I did. It was very, very, very nice. Nice weekend all weekend long. As a matter of fact, it was a little embarrassing when my little athletic trainer asked me today what I did over the weekend. And every single thing re revolved around food. Yeah, because, you know, it, that's kind of how people are. I it think is. largely, yeah. you know, that's what we, we put food and sociability and special occasions all get kind of wrapped up together, huh? Yep, they do. Yeah, they do. that's okay. Yeah. You didn't go crazy. I didn't go sort nuts. Sort of. Not, yeah, you didn't go nuts. <laughs> not too bad. <laughs> but anyway, so. um, it's really all is good. Scott's been up at meetings at St. Andrew yeah. all morning. Just got back in the house a few minutes ago and just doing stuff. And um, I think some of you may know Greg and Sharon Wood. So Greg had heart problems over the weekend and he is in a five hour heart surgery right now, right now to fix a valve so if you would keep greg in your prayers that would be great and sharon of course yes and, sharon's his wife and, uh, um, so that's always something going on yes it's and amazing it what they do now out of yeah any anywhere um he had walked seven miles as a scorekeeper at the at&t byron nelson on saturday and he had the problem Saturday night about yes. You know, he had to wake Sharon up. And yes, this was just out of the blue. He, she said he had actually walked uh, 30 miles in the past few days, getting ready for the Byron Nelson and everything. So, wow. Um, something like this happened to a, a good friend of Scott and mine years ago, who a pulmonologist who was super fit, super, super fit. And... But he, he actually had a heart, he had a vein or a an artery blockage. But never knew. I mean, never, never knew. knew. It just kind of came just, out of the blue. So, so fortunately with Greg, they got him through, you know, they got him through it and they diagnosed it well. And I think they know how to fix it. And so they're fixing it this afternoon. So I imagine he will be uh, as good as new when they're done because yes. it is amazing what they're able to do now down at that heart hospital in it Plano. It sure is. It sure is. All right. So. so are you ready to jump into Mark? I'm always ready. Good. Always ready. Okay, shall I open it up, yeah. up with prayer? let's do that. <coughs> After a cough, thank you. It's just hay fever time of year. <coughs> Sorry. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we are grateful to be here on this Monday. And um, we would do lift up Greg and his Susanna surgery right now and Sharon and their whole family. And we... We pray that you will uh, hold us all close together. We may be spread out geographically, but but we are, our hearts are all here, and your Spirit has called us here as on this journey through Mark's Gospel. May we hear Mark well and, and come to a deeper understanding of the good news that Mark brings us so that we can come to know Jesus better. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, Alrighty. very good. 
I head over to my side and all right nice and cool in here today yeah if it gets too cold you can ask the production team to raise the temperature a little bit okay. take it up a degree or I'll two i'll turn the heater on my side with the air conditioner well if i get frozen side. out i might i might speak to the production team myself oh, okay. okay okay you just let them know <laughs> What about production team? They're, they're, okay. they're good at these things. So here's, we're just going to go ahead and stop. I'm not going to start quite yet. We're going to, we're in Mark chapter 5. I want to go back to the 21st verse just so I can hold the whole story together. We just got a little ways in um, to the next story. So, but I want to remind you of where we had been. And that is the story of what's called the Gerasene demoniac because... It is a man who lives in the area of the Gerasenes. These are a people, probably, that's what it is. And he is possessed by demons, and it's a story with the pigs and the legion and the legion of demons and so forth. So I did find, I don't think I showed this last week, but I want to make sure I didn't miss it this week. This is a mosaic of that story from the 6th century A.D. So from the 500s A.D., um, this is a, a mosaic in Italy that depicts, you can see Jesus is there. Um, that would be a disciple in white next to Jesus. You can tell Jesus has the, right, the little halo around his head. In iconography, that's typically um, how Jesus or the particular saint that the um, iconography is lifting up is depicted and it just means um, holy person okay and you can see there's the demoniac in the cave um, out of modesty the man I guess it's out of modesty the man is fully clothed um, uh, maybe it's depicting him after Jesus had exercised the demons I guess that's really it because as I look at it now the pigs, which actually look like giant rats to me. <laughs> they do. <laughs> they, they do look do. like giant rats. They're swimming away. So they're in the lake now, and uh, the man has been cleansed of the demons. So now he's fully dressed and, and um, thanking Jesus. And one of the most notable points of the story is that Jesus tells the man to go and spread this good news. Which, as we'll see today, I'll point out today when we get to a similar sort of ending, and Jesus does not say, go spread the good news. But um, the Gerasenes area is on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, and it's Gentile, and the cities of the Decapolis, 10 as in Decathlon, the cities of the Decapolis are Gentile cities. So Jesus can have this man go spread the good news and tell people what Jesus had done for him without fear that it would quickly accelerate Jesus' ministry and the confrontation with the priests and the scribes and the Pharisees in a way Jesus didn't want. So, at the end of that story, as we said last week, Jesus left the eastern side, the Gentile side of the Sea of Galilee, and went back to the area of Capernaum. We're not given a marker to know exactly where, but that, that's where much of his um, ministry happened, on that northwestern shore. So he headed back, back there, 
And that's where we get this next story that we began, but only got part way into last week. So I just want to go back to the beginning and try to hold the whole thing together. Okay? Anything, Patty? Nope. We good? good? A little introduction there? Yes. Okay, so we are in chapter 5 of Mark's Gospel, verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him, like always, right? He always has crowds around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders, this, is, this would be an important person. The synagogue is a place where the Jews would meet and come to pray and to read scripture um, and uh, could also serve as kind of a community center. And the leader of this, his name's Jairus, came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. And he pleaded earnestly with Jesus, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And we talked last week about what a statement of faith that is, right? The, the man has sought out Jesus, is desperate, his daughter is dying, and he says, just come, put your hands on her, and she will be healed and live. He is confident that if Jesus will just come, his daughter will live. Verse 24, so really, not surprisingly, right, Jesus went with him. Well, a large crowd followed, of course, and they pressed in around Jesus. Um, there are more than a few occasions in the Gospels when Jesus just has to withdraw from the crowds because you're just pressing, pressing, pressing on him. So many people, so many needs to be met, just pressing on him. And now the crowd is pressing on him. So you got to picture him trying to walk through down a path or through some the streets of town where it's crowded and they're just squeeze they just squeeze in there and it's all just very um, for me it would be very claustrophobic. I have to tell you, a large crowd followed and they pressed around Jesus and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Very long time, 12 years. And this made her not only physically ill, because this is, this is menstruating, that's what they're talking about. This, but ritually unclean, because women who were menstruating under the law of Moses had to separate themselves from the family and go out and get their period over with and then go through some cleansing and then come back. There was a book that a lot of women have seen that you read a long, a long time ago called The Red Tent, which is was about the women who were out in the tent, you know, having their period and um, they would have to stay there until they could then be cleansed and come back to the family. Well, she's been 12 years. She hasn't been able to do that. So she is a social outcast in a society that's very communitarian. These are not people who would who are individualistic like Americans often are. They wouldn't identify with having privacy fences and all these other things and people leading their own private little lives. These are very communitarian people. 
very social, everything driven by collecting honor to yourself, avoiding shame, which are completely social concepts. So, of course, in 26, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, many physicians, right? I mean, think about it. The Hippocratic Oath comes from ancient Greece. But did they really have a way to help most people, honestly? No, they didn't. So she had been under the care of many doctors. She had spent all she had on what she they charged her, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. So now she's, you know, she's scared, has been scared, living apart. Um, you know, something I never thought of. Yeah. I imagine that some of these people would know her and know her story, um, even though she, you know what I mean, kind of heard of her, then she... And you would think that some in the crowd would actually be a little bit afraid of having her get too close to them either. Yes, Patty, you are 100% right. People who would know what her story is would back away because they didn't want to be touched by her. Because if they were touched by her, then they would be ritually unclean. She's she's like um, an untouchable in that way. It's just the same idea goes, goes around with like leprosy and the skin diseases that people had. At what They were these... Outward manifestations of illnesses um, that were often equated to having sinned against God. Not periods, because every woman got them. But it still made them ritually unclean. And so that is right on, Patty. So you can see that. Now, there's a lot of people from a lot of places, I think, in Galilee around here. And most people never got that far from their own village. So I, there's a lot of people in the crowd who don't know who she is. But there are some who do, I'm sure. And they would certainly be uh, sort of staying away. Well, verse 27. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. You know, at, at this time, there was a sense of people that there were folks who could heal. And, and, and you could sometimes, if you just touch the clothing, you could be healed. There were miracle workers of various kinds that people signed on to and believed in and and she comes up behind Jesus who she's heard about and and she she just touches this cloak and here's where the painting comes in all right so here we go okay so the the painting that I'm going to show you is found in a place called Magdala it was called Magdala in Jesus' day. It's called Migdal today on the western side of the Sea of Galilee. It is certainly more than likely the place where Mary Magdalene is from, giving her the, the name Magdalene. She's just Mary from Magdala. All right? And, and there's been digging there, and they found a first-century... Jewish synagogue, and the Catholics built a church there, um, which they they do, and it's they've done all this in the last say eight years, 
eight years or so. So Patty last time mentioned um, that on the main level, the altar was actually shaped in such a way to be a first century fishing boat. You see the cross, you see the drapery, you see the first century fishing boat. Um, the, the, the surface the boat is sitting on is a blue and white, I want to say marble, might not be marble, I don't know, but it looks like water. And then, then there's glass, and on the other side of the glass is an infinity pool, which means no edge at the back. So when you walk into this church and you look down at this altar that is this boat, it does look like the boat is floating on water. It's very, um, it's it's a very effective way. Well, to the if you t turn to the right as you're going into the as you approaching the chapel, there's a staircase that takes you downstairs to a smaller space that looks something like this. And you can see there's another altar there and a minimal sitting, seating, but there is some room for seating. And on the back wall is a curved mural. Very large. Very large. This is, I didn't, couldn't find a picture that had people in, but it's very large. And here is a close-up of that, of that painting, which is done in a almost, it's not really a hyper-realistic style, but it, but it's, it's a pretty, pretty, pretty realistic style. And you can see this hand reaching out to just touch the hem of Jesus's cloak the hem of his garment and it's just very powerful and very moving and you can just picture her really on her because she has to be on her hands and knees at this point trying to get through the crowd get through everybody to reach over and just touch just touches close thinking to herself if I just touch his clothing I will be healed So I'm going to leave this up for a little bit longer while we read on. You have anything to add at this point, Patty? No, just we were, you know, as I mentioned last week, I told so many people how much I loved this that I was actually gifted this, this, um, you know, on canvas, this this picture, and um, it's it's very very meaningful. Yep, so here's the, here, just to put it in the room, there there it is in the chapel itself. And um, there, there's the painting. So, she says to herself, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Verse 29. Well, immediately. Remember how Mark likes these time words? Immediately, her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. She touches the cloak and immediately she knows something big has happened. And she is not bleeding anymore. She feels healed. And all she has done was to crawl over and touch the very bottom of Jesus' garment. Verse 30, at once, right, see, there's, there's Mark again. At once, 
Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. Whoa. You know, we don't have many instances in the Gospels about, about Jesus' power. There, there's some. The word isn't used a lot. But here, Jesus just realizes that this healing power from him has gone out, undirected by Jesus, unmediated by Jesus, unrequested by Jesus, just from his being flows outward and um, goes into the woman and she is healed. It's, it's really just, just, just quite remarkable. Remember, I said Mark is always trying to disclose more and more clearly who Jesus is, and now Jesus doesn't make, he doesn't issue any orders, he doesn't say anything, he doesn't do, he doesn't even know it's happened till it's happened. At once Jesus realized the power had gone out from him, he turned around in the crowd and he asked this, who touched my clothes? And the disciples, being pretty sarcastic here, do they really grasp who they are with yet? Do they grasp who Jesus is? No. They're very sarcastic. Oh, you see the people crowding against you? And yet you can ask me, who touched me? How do we know? Look at all these people here. <laughs> Look at all these people here. And of course, what I love about the painting is the woman is actually down there on the ground on her hands and knees and has reached in with all of her might to just just touch the cloak. She doesn't even grasp it. She just, she just touches it. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. He doesn't know who had done it. All he knows is the power, he, he, he felt the power flow out from him, this healing power to, this, to somebody. Well, the woman, verse 33, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. And trembling with fear, don't you know that? That she's trembling with fear? I mean, who has experience with anything like this? Who is this man? This is not part of people's daily experiences, life experience. I mean, if you went to a miracle worker at this time or a magician, they had all kinds of fancy rituals and magic words they were say, would say as they were, you know, extracting money from people. All she did was touch his cloak. So she came and she fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. And here's what he says to her, verse 34. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So what has healed her? Is it magic? It's not magic. It's her faith. 
her trust in Jesus. The Greek word faith is pistis. Daughter, your faith, your trust in me has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Contrast that with, with the disciples who, you know, just were in the boat and and they woke Jesus up because they were afraid and he asked them, well, don't you know who you're with here? They, they don't. But she trusts Jesus utterly and she is healed. So she's healed physically because she already felt that. She's healed ritually. She's now clean. She's healed socially so she can return to her family and her friends. And so Jesus said to her, go in peace. That word shalom. Shalom is a big word. We translate it peace, but it's a word that speaks to wholeness of a person. When a when an Israeli says shalom to you, it's more than just, you know, peace be to you. It, it's it's a large it's a larger word. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And indeed, her you know, when she goes home, her life is going to be changed, utterly and completely. We don't know any details about her personal life whatsoever. All we know is that her life has been utterly changed. She can go back to family and friends. Um, she can become part of the community again, part of the village again, part of the village life. It's really just, just, just quite a story. And did it begin? What, well, I mean, what did it begin with? Just a woman who's desperate, desperate to be healed, has tried everything. And she comes, she puts her faith in Jesus, and she is healed. So as I've said, when you come in, in Mark or the other Gospels to Jesus saying your faith has healed you, see it in the larger sense. Don't just see the, the physical healing. Right? It's like the man who's dropped down into the room by his buddies. It's this larger sense of having been, been restored to a right and good relationship with God. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So, Patty, do you have anything that you would like to add? No, here? I, I don't. Okay. I, mean, I think you hit it all. Questions from anybody? Not yet. Okay. So, now remember, this story of the woman is inserted in the middle of the story about the synagogue leader with the dying daughter. So, because Jesus has come to him, he said, come on, you can save her. Please come, please come. You can lay your hands on her and she will live. Then Jesus goes, and then there's this whole episode with the woman. Now, telling how long all that took. Verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking to the woman, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. And here's what they say, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Your daughter is dead. And these may be ancient people who lived a long time for us, but they were well acquainted with death. They knew what death was. 
they could tell. <laughs> they knew the daughter had died. Died. Dead, dead, and dead, as I say in my classes. Well, overhearing what they were all chattering about, Jesus told him, the synagogue leader, don't be afraid. Just believe. Trans further translated, just trust me. Because that believe is that tricky thing again where it's really the verb form of the word faith. Just faith. Just believe. Just trust in me. So, I imagine the synagogue leader is stunned, saddened, shocked. What does he do? What does he do? Well, they go on. Verse 37, he, Jesus, did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. So, when we opened Mark's gospel, the first four disciples were Andrew and Peter, brothers, James and John, brothers, the sons of Zebedee. So now Simon, Simon Peter, James, and John, they really form an inner circle of the disciples. For example, when Jesus is transfigured on the mountainside, they're the ones who go up. So they're really like an inner circle. Um, why didn't Jesus take everybody? Personally, I think it's a practical matter. Just a practical matter of just a small group to come with him and he just wants everybody else to wait outside. So, verse 38, when they came to the home, I'm gonna read Jalen's question. Yeah, read me. Right now? Yeah. This was a great question. She said, I know Jesus went away by himself to be with his father, God, but do you think it was also to renew himself as these healings did take something out of him? I would say it is to renew. It's it's to gain, it's to it's to find the peace that we can only that he can only find with the Father. Um he, he this happens this is the most striking occasion that I know of in the gospels where somebody just touches the cloak right? And the power flows out from Jesus. Did he feel a need to go renew himself? No. He just goes boom, 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 right on. So I would say that the, when Jesus leaves the crowds, it is to find some peace, to be in prayer, and it is relational in nature. But I don't know. Good question. It is. I'll ask him someday. <laughs> it is. But he, you know, like Lynn is saying, it does happen quite often where he's got to get out in the boat by himself or sail across the other side of the Sea of Gal. Whatever it is to, you know, it's it's been so much that it's, he just needs to be alone because he's almost overwhelmed. That's so, how it seems So to if me. you were preaching it, what would you preach? You know, that it's so easy to get sucked into the day-to-day -day craziness of life that it really does begin to diminish your relationship with God. And you need to remove yourself from that and to renew that relationship with God and find the peace that you can only find in your relationship with God.
and Jesus, even Jesus needs that with the Father. This, um, but I don't, I, I don't think it's like you know having to get his batteries charged or something. But anyway, good question, absolutely. All the questions are good that you guys come up with. That's why I can't answer half of them. Okay, so. Verse 37, Jesus did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, this inner group. When they came to the house of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw commotion outside. Well, of course, there's this girl, and she's died. These villages, aren't, these aren't big places. Everybody grows up together. Nobody really moves away to start a career or anything like that. You grow up. Um, you, you live in the same place your parents lived, your grandparents lived, and you have multi-generations living in a single structure, and shoot, yeah, a commotion, I bet you, with people crying and wailing loudly. You know, um, different cultures grieve differently. Some cultures grieve very loudly. You've, you've probably seen it. <coughs> Where... Women are just wailing, wailing at the top of their lungs. Um, this is this is that kind of this is that kind of culture. So the people crying and wailing loudly. This man's daughter has died. So Jesus went in and he said to them, "Why all this commotion? What are you wailing about? This child is not dead. She's only asleep." But they laughed at him. They laughed at him. They're like, why do they laugh at him? They laugh at him because they know what we know. Dead people stay dead. Mm -hmm. They know what dead be. They know what death is. We don't even know how long the girl has been dead. I mean, Jairus went basically to find Jesus. I don't know. We don't know the timing of all of this. She might have been dead for a while. Dead people stay dead. Do you so remember when you used to say dead, dead, and dead? Dead, dead, and dead. She's dead, dead, and dead. Dead people stay dead. And they scoff at Jesus. What do you mean she's asleep? She's not asleep. She's dead. Well, we'll see, won't we? Well, after he'd put them all out. Huh. Okay, so Jesus goes into the synagogue leader's home and he chases everybody out. <laughs> Just, I can picture it. Go, 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 go. And he, people are getting offended. And what do you mean? Go, 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 go. And he took the child's father and the mother and the disciples who were with him, the three, James, John, and Peter. So there are... One, two, three, five people with him, and Jesus. Do I have that right? Yes, and a little girl. The mother, the father, the disciples, and they go in where the child was. It would be uh, a sleeping room, a bedroom in, in this house, a place where the child would be laying out, having been cared for while she was sick, but now it is just her, just, 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 just her dead body that's there. Verse 41, Jesus took her by the hand and he said to her in Aramaic, because that's what they all spoke, Talitha kum. And then Mark 
gives us the translation for it, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Talitha Kum, little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately, <laughs> immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. And now we get a fascinating old detail, right? She was 12 years old. You know, those are the kind of details that get in the way of people who want to say, well, you know, these Gospels are all just made up. You know, none of this stuff actually happened. No, those are the kind of details that only come from remembering details of things that happened. It doesn't add anything to the story. I don't care how old she is. Do you care how old she is, Patty? No. No. no, I don't think it adds anything to the story, interpretationally or anything else. She was 12 years old. Okay, that detail of this story is known. We know the father's name. We know the daughter's age. I think it all, you know, it just makes it seem to us like this is real. Because it know? is real. Yeah, you could picture a little 12-year-old girl. And Mark is just saying, okay, I'm, I'm giving you all this stuff here. You know, remember I said the... the um, I'm with those who think that the Gospel of Mark is, at its core, not the whole, not in every piece of it, but the core of it is Peter's testimony about Jesus. The, the, this is at the core of it. You, you're getting Peter's telling of Jesus, and of course Peter is there, and he knows the details. He knows the name. He he can tell you how old the girl was. But immediately, immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She who had been dead. dead. Well, you can imagine at this, they were completely astonished. Astonished. And Scott, you do have a, a number of comments that came online okay. during this part. Well, let me just get a little bit further and then I'll go back to them, okay? Okay. So he said, at this, they were completely astonished. Of course they were. <sighs> dead people stay dead. Now this girl is getting up. So he gave strict orders. Jesus gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. Remember, they're back in Jewish territory now. It's not like on the Gentile side. Now it's the messianic secret. Now let's keep it all quiet. Let's keep it on the low on what it's called. Let's keep it quiet. Let's keep it quiet. Don't tell anybody about this. And then this last piece. And he told him to give her something to eat. Hmm. Why does Mark give us that? So that we would not think there was some, you know, ghost or something like that involved in all this. No. Who needs to eat? Living people need to eat. People with bodies, like when after Jesus' resurrection, he eats, he says, ah, hand me the fish, I'm going to eat, I'm going to show you I'm flesh and blood, I'm not a ghost, give me the fish. And he eats the, the fish in Luke 24. I think it's, it's exactly the same thing here. Mark wants us to get that this girl has been brought back to life. Now let me ask you a question then. So is she, has she been resurrected? Patty knows the answer. Yeah, I'm going to try not to say anything here. Well, you're going to have to because nobody else is in the room with us, <laughs> honey. She's so. resuscitated. <laughs> she's not resurrected. She's resuscitated. To be resurrected is to pass through death 
to a newly embodied life never to taste death again. She has been brought back to life like somebody who is resuscitated on an operating table. Who goes, who codes, what, code blue or something? They code on an operating table. And that is, that is what he has done. He has brought her back to life. But she's still going to go home. She's going to be 12 and 13 and 14 and 15. And she'll get married and she'll probably have kids. And she will die again sometime down the road because she's only resuscitated like Tabitha in Acts 9 and like the little boy that uh, Elisha lies across and brings back to life, like Lazarus in John 11 brought back to life, resuscitated, not resurrected. Okay. Oh, I see. I got a few notes and stuff. People are real. Yeah, cool. All right. So let me go back. So Susan Faulkner says, Psalm 46.10, Be still and know that I am God comes to mind as Jesus needs to be alone at times. Yes, Susan. And the thing is, that means, if you just think about it. If Jesus needs, what would we call it now? If Jesus needs quiet time to be in prayer with God, a time out, a time away, some quiet time with God, then you know that we do. He's Jesus. You, you know that we do. Jesus knows. These, these, when he goes away, when he withdraws from the crowd, they're like Sabbath moments. Sabbath is given to us not so that we can, you know, kick back and let and avoid doing dishes. It's given to us so that we can be we have a day to renew our relationship with God and to find quiet and to find peace in God's presence. In God's presence. Okay, so then Jamie Lee said... Talking about Jesus, wonder why he didn't just say, I will heal her and she will be alive. Okay, so that's a really good question there from Jamie. All right, so why... Why go through this? Because there's another story, I don't think it's in Mark, it comes from one of the other Gospels, where there's basically a long-distance healing. The The father comes and pleads with Jesus, and the, the, the child is healed before Jesus even gets there. So Jesus could have healed her um, just from a distance. So why do you think Jesus would have wanted it to play out this way? What are the two themes in Mark? One is the growing disclosure of who Jesus really is and how much more powerful a demonstration this is, how much more powerful an enactment of the kingdom of God, not merely to overcome an illness, but death, Right? Because the kingdom of God is all about God's victory over sin and death. Not just illness, but sin and death. So here, whom is Jesus conquering? Illness? No. The the girl's not sick anymore. She's dead. dead. Dead people aren't sick. They're dead. 
he, he, it's a victory over death, which is a signpost. So this story is what? What is it a signpost to? Think about it. What's coming down the road? What's coming down the road? Who will die? Who will achieve a victory over death? Jesus. Jesus himself. He won't be resuscitated. He will be resurrected. But I think that these Jesus plants many signposts along the way that prepare that are meant to prepare the disciples for what is coming. They're, they're, you know, I have so much sympathy for them, their difficulty in really grasping who Jesus is, because it's he's the complete opposite of what they expected. And I don't care what it is in life, if something's the complete opposite of what you expect it to be, you're probably going to miss it entirely. Okay? So, yeah. Another really good question there, Jamie. How about Josie? She says, interesting that these two stories are sandwiched. And the woman suffered 12 years, and that Jairus' daughter is 12 years old. That is interesting. It is interesting. There is symmetry there. Um, I don't, I don't know that I would see the two together with meaning. I don't ever remember reading anything. Didn't, didn't, didn't read anything in prepping for today about the, about the, the fact that there is these two twelves, two twelve. I mean, 12 is a very important number. 12 is the number of the tribes of Israel. 12 is the number of the disciples. The, the 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 circle of disciples is called one in the Gospels, capital T twelve. So I'll tell you what I'll do, Josie. I will I will look around a little bit more to see if I'm missing something about about tying those two things together. Um, but I don't I I I don't know that I I could add much to that but it's a very good observation about it and then we have some notes and notes well in a way I mean this is just off the top of my head he had restored both of their lives one was completely cut off from the community from everything the little girl physically was dead and he res- you know yeah. he resuscitated her and she has her life back. I yes. mean, I know it's kind of pushing it there, but that's that's kind of what I'm seeing as maybe one kind of connection. Well, and these are both enactments of, oh, I, I see the connection between the story. Let me just talk about why it's sandwiched. I was focusing on why the two twelves. Do the tw- two twelves mean something in and of themselves? That, well, that's, the, that's what I was meaning. Yeah, the, the, the sandwiching is all, is, I think, is all about putting right back to back these two remarkable stories of new life. Mm-hmm. Just as Patty said, new life, the kingdom. Remember, all the miracles in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're not really signs to who Jesus is. They're, they're part of, I think they're part of the disclosure of, of it. But there were too many miracle workers in that day to be too focused on that aspect. They are enactments of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, relationships are restored health are restored health is restored that's the woman in the kingdom of god there is no death death is conquered 
that's the girl. And um, personally, for me, they the stories end up being sandwiched this way because that's how it happened. There will be New Testament scholars who would say, well, no, it's this, this but I think this was Peter's telling of this story. And he said, look, here's what happened. Jairus came that day, and then we were on our way, and this woman came up, and then we got the rest of the way, and you get this whole mind-blowing Talitha Kum, and the girl is the girl who was dead is now alive. So, but they are both very powerful stories about the kingdom and about new life, and wow. Wow. So, getting darker and darker outside it isn't is. it Patty? it's starting to rumble out there too rumble rumble we yes. went all those days when they kept kept telling us that we're not going to get any rain that we were going to get lots of rain and we got none now they say ah not much rain today and now it might is that what you're telling me well it's rumbling it's rumbling baby <laughs> we can take anything we'll take anything we can get i've lived in texas long enough to know to Except the rain up it, here in the Metroplex. I was just thinking about something that <coughs> happened to me very recently, and that yeah. was when my sister Joni was here, and my sister, for the umpteenth time, um, her blood sugar dropped so low that she actually was unconscious. Uh -huh. And the, um, you know, the fire department from Frisco all came with their hook and ladders and everything else to the hotel she was staying at. And now I do realize that they are not Jesus, but they were able to shoot my sister up with glucose and right. resuscitate her because she was out. And what is the first thing they tell me as they're leaving? You make sure and you take her somewhere to eat. And it, that just, I couldn't help it. It just reminded yeah. me of that. It was like, okay, we got her up, but. We got her up, but we got to, that's not enough. You got to get her, yes, get her it, back. I mean, know, there's, there's same. more involved yes, here. Yes, there's more involved. It's not over yet, but, you know, feed this little girl. She needs yeah. to eat. She's going to be hungry. Yes. Because she's alive. She's fully, alive. Fully alive. Okay. So, wow. Man, I'm kind of wrung out. That is such, those are two such powerful stories. I remember many years ago. When I was early, I was a at the beginning of my preaching days, and the the scripture passage was focused upon the woman's story, and it was just very, very powerful story to preach. Okay, so unless somebody's got something else, we're going to go on to chapter six. All right. Number six. So chapter six in Mark functions like chapter 4 in Luke. Chapter 4 in Luke is the story of where Jesus gets up on the Saturday in, in Nazareth and he reads from the scroll of Isaiah and sits down and says, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. And at first people don't get it, but then they sort of get it and they get really mad at him because it just seems blasphemous, seems sacrilegious. What are you talking about? You grew up with us. How could you say? So this is the same thing. Same, same, same thing, except this is in, you know, Mark's telling. Well, Jesus left there, and he went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. So 
Let's go back to a map. Okay, so he's been in, he's not been in Magdala, he's been in the northwestern shore, and now he's going to have to head westward. It's not even on the map, but so far it's not even, he's, he's going to head westward to get to Nazareth. It's a long walk. <laughs> it would take him a long time to get there, and uh, it would be fairly strenuous because the Sea of Galilee is about 700 feet below sea level, and he's going to have to climb out of there and climb up, if you look at the, on this map, this relief map, you can see all the brown there, right, on the left side. Mm -hmm. That's showing you the hills and everything there that he's gonna have to climb up and climb through to get back to Nazareth. But that's where he's headed. That is where he's headed. Verse two, and when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue in Nazareth, that is his hometown. And many who heard him were what? Amazed. Amazed. Now, it's endlessly fascinating to me that this, this is here. In the, it's just not at the beginning. Just think of the things that Jesus has already done and that we've read about in the places he's gone. And now he's going to go back to Nazareth. This, this is, you, can't, you can't call it the beginning of his public ministry, which is closer to the way the way Luke has it. Um, and one more thing, don't drive yourself crazy trying to figure out, well, did one of them get this wrong? Which, which In these kinds of writings, which is by and large ancient writings, they were not as hung up on exacting chronology as we are. They just weren't. They didn't even have the same devices we have to keep track of chronology. You know, they, they don't even have watches. They don't even have clocks. You know, they could keep track of days and they had a lunar calendar and yes, but they just, they would, they would, a writer would organize the story in the way that the writer wanted to help the reader understand the importance of something and the significance of it without being bound by uh, sort of a Dallas Morning News chronological approach to it. It strikes us in our world as a bit of an odd way to do it, but if you stop and you, once you get used to it and you spend a little time with it, it's it's not so odd. Jesus is fully established in, in his ministry. You know word about Jesus has spread to Nazareth. You know that. Think about all the things that have happened. Verse 2, when the Sabbath came, he began to teach at the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. And they asked, well, where did this man get these things? What's this wisdom that has been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? See, that's all this stuff they've heard about. He's just getting up to read at the synagogue, and it's all arriving, it's all piling on Jesus. Isn't this the carpenter? Didn't we change his diapers? Isn't he running around town with the other little kids here in this little village called Nazareth? Yes, yes, and yes. Yes, yes, and yes. Isn't this Mary's son? That's interesting. You would think it would say, is this Joseph's son? So why doesn't it say? Maybe Joseph's already 
yeah. deceased. See, I think that's the simplest answer to most things is the best answer. Simplest answer that explains the most data, best, best, best answer. Isn't this Mary's son? He's Mary's son now because Joseph passed, passed probably, probably a long time ago. And now he's simply Mary's son. And he's a brother of whom? James, not the disciple that you've already met. They, they don't have bunches of names to use. Joseph, Judas, and Simon, Simeon. Um, I have behind me, I have a volume uh, where in, in it is a list of names from the 200 years before Jesus to the 200 years after Jesus. Every instance of any name that could be found in, um, in Israel from tombstones, bone boxes, written documents, anywhere. And there just aren't many names used by these people. That's why there's so many Marys in the New Testament. James, they just didn't need them because people never went anywhere. So if you were Jesus of Nazareth, that was probably all you needed. And if you needed more name, you would be Jesus, son of Joseph of Nazareth. Jesus bar Joseph of Nazareth. That would be, and people know exactly who you were. So, but the townsfolk, I mean, their reaction is a little bit understandable, I think. They grew up with him. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? The brother of James and Joseph, Judas and Simon. Now, the for simplest reading of this is that they are half-brothers, right? Children of Mary and Joseph for reasons we don't need to get into now around beliefs about Mary, for Roman Catholics, they are only stepbrothers because they want to think that Mary was perpetually a virgin, which means she couldn't have had sex and children after Jesus' birth. But there's nothing in the scripture about that. So for the simplest view and the view of most Protestants and even an increasing number of Catholic scholars in our day is that these are simply Jesus' half-brothers. The first one in the list, James, is almost certainly the James who wrote the New Testament letter called James in your New Testament. The book of James, we call it. But they were not followers of Jesus before his death and resurrection, only after his resurrection. And James would go on to be a leader of the Christian community in Jerusalem and be martyred in the early 60s A.D. So they're just saying, the townspeople are saying, isn't this Mary's son? And he's the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon. Aren't his sisters here with us? You can see families were pretty large then if they could just had babies, you know. A lot of babies didn't make it, but enough did. Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him because they're too familiar with him. Uh, so I, for me, the way I make this work is I just picture Jesus running around Nazareth in diapers. And now it's like, who does he think he is? That's what the townspeople are saying. 
They're offended by it. But I think we really can all put ourselves kind of in that position. If it was somebody, a kid we knew that had grown, like you're saying, grown up in the neighborhood. Yeah. And up until this point, there hasn't been any sign that he was anything other than just a nice child. Because how old, how old is he when this whole thing kicks off? 30? Well, 30, yes. So I imagine it was this little Bobby from the neighborhood. And all of a sudden, now all of a sudden, saying, he's, yeah, the son of God. Right, and he's doing these things, and the stories are circulating, and wow. So Jesus said to him, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. Verse 5. I'm going to put my own word there. This is not in the Gospel of Mark. But I'm putting it there. Sadly, he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. You see how the word amazed is turned around? Yes. Other places he goes, from the very beginning, that first, that first burst of activity in Capernaum when he healed Peter's <laughs> mother-in-law and drove out the demon, the folks were amazed, 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 all the way through this. And now, what is Jesus amazed at? The lack of faith, the lack of trust amongst his own hometown people. Okay, so I do have a question family. about that. Okay, yes. so he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few pe sick people. Just a few little minor things. <laughs> Could he not have healed people that he wanted to heal? Did he not uh, have the, did he, <laughs> you know, was he unable to heal people or was it, it, was it because that, you know, Jesus could only heal you if you have faith that he can heal you? In the Greek, it isn't a he chose not to do miracles there. It is he could not do any miracles there. And at rate, perhaps what we're supposed to get from this is that Jesus can be Jesus in a place of faith. And if there's no faith, there's no trust. He can't really be. He can't really be Jesus. It's, it's, um, it's, it, to me, it gets at this thing where none of this is ever about God waving a magic wand. Why do, why are we supposed to go out and tell the good news to people? Why is that? Why do we have to go out and tell the good news to people? The Great Commission makes witnesses of Jesus and Jerusalem. Why does a God just do it all? Well, no. People need to come to Jesus. It's it's like he's reaching out there all the time, but they, they I don't know. Why? It's such a good observation. He could not do any miracles there. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. So you contrast it with the stories previously to this, right? The woman, 
the synagogue leader, both just absolutely put their full faith and trust in Jesus. And now he goes home down and they can't, and that's it. It's like he can't, he can't do miracles there, other than a little bit of stuff. I looked in the message just to see how he was going uh -huh. to come up with this. Yeah. It says, Jesus wasn't able to do much of anything there. He <laughs> laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. That's all. Yeah. He couldn't get over their stubbornness. Yeah. See? It's, it, it's it again, what, so what does that lead us to? It leads us to the understanding that this, all of this is inherently relational. There is no one-way magic wand in this. Um, it's like what I what's coming to mind. Maybe this so, maybe this will work. Okay, so Dallas Willard wrote about prayer, and Dallas Willard is a very he was he's passed, but he is a very kind of a deep con, con, contemplative guy. And he said, "Look, if you don't think prayer can change anything." Can accomplish anything then of course it's not going to because who would answer a prayer like that from somebody who dies it's a waste of time i'll say the words but ah come on i think there is that element it is it is when jesus is rejected and the people don't trust him the ground of the the kingdom of God is is chopped away, and that ground is faith. People's trust in Jesus, but that's really see that that verse five that does get a lot of attention from people wondering, well, like, what words are really going on there? Yes. I like Susan's comment. <laughs> There's an old country saying you have to eat three rivers from home to be an expert. Hey. Yeah, well, there you go. See? Yeah. But boy, it's, it's, hmm. Is it that something? What does it mean? You can contemplate that. In fact, you could pray on it. All right. Anything else on that one? No. Anything else no. I'm missing? Okay, so Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the 12, see, the 12, capital T, 12. He began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. Two by two. He, send, he doesn't send out the 12 of them in 12 different directions. He sends them out in pairs. <clears throat> A long time ago, Robert Hasley took some of us on staff to a church in Phoenix for like this conference the church was putting on about how to be a passionate church and how to grow your church and all that kind of stuff, to be a, you know, how to be a better church sort of. And one of the things that I particularly remember from that is that, is that the leaders of that church said, look, if somebody comes to us and say, okay, well, I want to start up a, I'm going to pick one, a prayer shawl ministry. 
the first thing we would ask him is, well, who is going to do this with you? Because they said, we don't do anything if there's only one person that's come forward to do it. It has to be a pair of people. And I remember thinking at the time, well, I don't think that's really because of trying to adhere to this particular verse. It's seeing the wisdom in this particular verse. Because we are a lot stronger together than we are apart. And so I always thought that was that was a good piece of advice for churches and for leaders in churches and for pastors to to get people to be thinking about doing this in pairs and in teams. And that's how Jesus sent them out. So he has six teams of two, right? And he is passing on to them some of his authority over these impure or evil spirits. Okay, and I saw that Linda Waldo had, um, she said, when Jesus heals, he wants people to have faith. Why would he heal if there is no faith? Well, there you go. Link the two together there, Linda. Yep, and it's it's just, they're bound together, and it, if you remember that, it keeps you away from just thinking that, well, really, what God should be doing is just waving a magic wand over everything, right? Because he's God, and I'm not. Just wave a magic wand, fix everything. Not, not God's way. It's not, it's not what God wants. Okay, verse 8. So these were the instructions that Jesus gave the disciples. Take nothing for the journey. Except, take a staff that's a wooden stick, you know, like a walking stick. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, sure, but not an extra shirt. Well, what's that about? I mean, that, I have to say, is not how Patty and I travel. Oh, goodness. <laughs> I don't know how I would do this. So. And it doesn't even mention, like, curling irons and makeup, but. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Oh, so goodness. what's it about? Well, it's about relying on hospitality. And it's about relying on God to provide. Give us this day our daily bread. It's about relying upon God. It's about relying on hospitality, which is often how God's provision happens. In this world, there is a very strong ethic of hospitality because there's no Motel 6s and Denny's and all that kind of stuff. Um, very strong uh, ethic of hospitality, and they are to go out and take nothing for the journey. They're going to rely upon God to provide them what they need daily. Verse 10, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, well, just leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Don't, don't beat your head against the wall. Again, going back to that conference I was talking about, though, we had a fellow from there called Mike Breen that came and spent some time at St. Andrew back in 2005. And he's, I remember, there's something else that stuck with me. He said, look for the people of peace whom God has prepared to hear the gospel. Because you can spend a whole lot of time banging your head against a wall that's not going to move. 
look for the people of peace so here it is if any if any place will not welcome you or listen to you well move on and let them know <laughs> that you're moving on shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them you know jesus talks in the gospels about places that rejected him and he really calls judgment down on them i mean jesus is bringing to them god's word jesus is bringing the kingdom of god to them and to utterly reject jesus is to utterly reject god and to utterly reject god is to call judgment down upon yourself of course it is so we're going to leave it there i think um and when we come back we'll pick it up with that little story i may have some other things to say and then we will come to poor john the baptist I was he's gonna lose his head yes my dear uh, myself about not bringing anything about how you know in the old testament god was testing the israelites leaving egypt with no food in the manna right you know and where they had to be completely completely relying on God. They had nothing else. And they were whining and moaning the whole time. Yeah. And God provided them food, and he provided them water, and he provided them security. And they still whined and moaned. Honey, we would be too. How about that story in Numbers <laughs> where they're whining again about food, and God sends them so much food they choke on it. The quail by the millions. Mm -hmm. Just hair. <laughs> <laughs> you want food? I'll give you food. Yeah. So, yeah. It's anyway. Yep. I feel like I can't be too hard on them. I just feel like as humans, it's just what we yeah, do. Yeah, well, that's exactly why I feel. Do. I mean, I guess I'm supposed... I don't think I'm supposed to be offended by the disciples' blindness. No. You know, Jesus... When Peter, who denied... Like Arthur talked about, Jesus denied Peter three times. Fell asleep in the garden. Nowhere to be seen at the crucifixion. But Jesus forgives him. Yep. And Peter goes on to be, you know, the key leader of the early church. He sure was. Yeah. So. All righty. All right, Patty. All kinds of good stuff. And that, I mean, we didn't get through that much today, but there's a lot of stuff in there. Yeah, the yeah. Gospels are kind of packed, aren't They're they? Packed with stuff. If you would join me, thank you guys so much, first of all, for being here today. Love that. And, you know, classes tomorrow online or in person at 12 o'clock down in Piro Hall. First Samuel. First Samuel. Great stories. The Oasis of En Gedi. Mm. Which, if you've been to Israel on a land trip with us, you've been to En Gedi. If you kind of remember the scene, what there was... There was a beautiful waterfall. We're out in the middle of nowhere. And these were these little creatures that looked like little deer. Or that's what I would call them. Almost like little deers who would be up in the trees. And you'd wonder, how does the tree not fall over with their weight? But it didn't. They weigh nothing. They must weigh nothing. Anyway, they're they pretty amazing. Yeah, very good. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time to get together today to study your word. And we thank you, God, for these stories that are brought to us um, in the four Gospels, Lord. And we thank you for this time that we have to actually be able to go over it and maybe understand things that we just read, speed read through all of our lives. Um, open our eyes, God, to these stories and these little parts of stories that, that really 
really true, truly like awaken us to what Jesus would like us to actually be hearing. Lord, hold this group together. We pray you'd keep us healthy and safe, and we pray for all of our family too, Lord. We pray that you'd bring us back together safely next Monday, and it's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, everybody. Bye, everybody. Adios. See ya.